Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of the SI Boxing Podcast. Glad you could join me this week. We have a really big episode for you. As boxing begins to inch its way back with top rank scheduled to go in June, PBC, Matchroom, uh, Golden Boy, all looking at July, August, and September, I uh, thought it'd be a good time to check in with Evan Rakowski, the former HBO Boxing marketing executive. Uh, we talk about all the plans these promoters are starting to make, what makes sense, what doesn't, and how does boxing move forward in this new post-pandemic landscape. Get into all that much more with Evan Rakowski. A little bit later on, Jose Ramirez, the 140-pound champion, unified champion, I should say. Uh, He joins me. Jose has been particularly uh, bothered by this pandemic. He's had two fights canceled since this whole thing hit, and he's already starting to make plans to get back into the ring uh, to fight Victor Postal for a third time uh, later this year. So stick around for that. Good conversation with Jose Ramirez. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Evan Rutkowski. All right, a lot going on in the world of boxing right now as the sport begins to restart in some areas, uh, kind of linger a little bit longer in some areas, and you know, a lot to kind of figure out over these next few months as boxing tries to find its way back uh, as this pandemic still grips the United States. Talk about that and much more. One of my favorite guests when it comes to the business of boxing, Evan Rutkowski, the former HBO uh, boxing marketing executive and host of the Fistionados podcast, which is a great listen if you ever want to get... Uh, really into the weeds on the, the inner workings of boxing every single uh, every single time out. So Evan, good to talk to you again, man. How's everything out in California? We're hanging in there. We got. Uh, I'm one of those people. I got. I got a four year old and a ten month old. So truly hanging on by a thread, but hanging in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say I can relate, but I really can't. I've been mostly quarantined <laughs> alone and 
that's just the way life goes, at least in my world. <laughs> um, but I want to kind of run through each of the main networks and the main companies that are in boxing and kind of address what they're they're doing, what they're planning to do, and what we think they should be doing uh, over the next couple of months. And, and let's start with the PBC because uh, they obviously have two output deals with Fox and with Showtime. And PBC left off with Robert Hellenius's upset win over Adam Konoski, a fight that attracted an average of about 1.7 million viewers, which is right in line with Konoski's viewership on Fox against Chris Ariola uh, about six or eight months before that. Uh, overall, I guess, decent start of the year for PBC. Caleb Plant did a decent number. You had the Fury Wilder pay-per-view, uh, a major upset with Jason Rosario knocking off uh, Julian Williams. Not bad. Uh, so where do you think that Fox was, or I guess where PBC was, when this sort of pandemic took hold? Well, specifically as it relates to Fox, I mean, you know, it, it, I think Fox is, PBC has been taking their time coming back compared to top rank and ESPN and, and, and DAZN, which we'll get to later. But, you know, Fox has other programming right now. They, they, they don't program sports 24 hours a day. It's really, and, and the WWE has been, you know, continuing to, to put on shows on Friday night. So they're not quite as desperate as some other networks are. And I'm sure they want to come back when boxing is set up for success and they also, uh, you know, boxing is part of their portfolio, but it's not the top sport that they have, which obviously is the same thing as, as ESPN as well. So they're they're really going to need to hear from some of the other major sports. Like, you know, Major League Baseball, I mean, I think there's a real debate as to whether Major League Baseball can have their season. And Fox heavily relies on Major League Baseball for Saturday nights for great playoff ratings for their television uh, audiences, and, and they do huge numbers with that. So it makes sense for Fox to say, hey, let's, let's, we don't need a bunch of shows right away. We're not starving for content right now. Let's be smart about this and strategic about this. And we might need you guys to come and fill some holes later in the season. You know, also college football is now big for Fox. And that's another Saturday fall piece of programming that that they you know now rely on heavily and and pbc boxing may be asked to to you know come in and fill some of those voids if uh those two pieces of programming specifically can't come back right away yeah and to to your point uh, i don't think fox is rushing to get back into the boxing business right away i mean i wrote this earlier this week that uh pbc's target has been august according to some of the people that have been in conversations uh, with Al Heyman and and with others involved with the PBC, it's possible we could see some stuff in late July, but uh, August seems like the the moving target date right now for PBC. And yeah, I guess one question I have, and, and maybe you can shed some light on on this with your thoughts, but and we'll get we'll get into the ESPN as well. But how do you think advertising will impact the? really the, the finances of all this, whether it's how much Fox will show up for these fights. We'll talk about ESPN later, but I mean, we know the state of advertising in America, Evan. I mean, I've seen some research that suggests that, you know, TV advertising could sink by as much as, you know, 12% in 2020, which represents, you know, billions of dollars in, in ad revenue. And look, I think you, you also know that, you know, getting sponsorship for boxing is, has been problematic to all promoters uh, over the years. I mean, how do you think the, is there any way to gauge how the, the pandemic you think will affect the cost of these shows? So 
you know, the, the, let's just look at the advertising part for a second first. So advertisers have pulled all their money back uh, as, as of now. I think in May, the, you know, 50% of the money got pulled back and advertisers are really waiting to see, you know, and that's, I think everyone expected that, that, that wasn't unexpected. And it was a smart move by the advertisers, but they need to see real television ratings coming forward because right now what we've seen is there's this narrative of people have been moving over to streaming services at a much faster rate because streaming services have a ton of content. But what's about to happen in probably a few months, maybe two or three months, uh, is Hollywood is at a standstill too. And the problem with that is there's still people who are able to finish shows that are coming out now, but in a few months, there's going to be a long lull and there's going to be no TV shows at all. And that's going to affect the streaming services. So we're going to see a huge move back to live sports. And I think many, there's a huge amount of optimism in live sports that the advertisers will be back. And this will be the only major thing they have to spend money on so that they will be back. But no matter what, there should be a drop in overall spend this year. And that's understandable given the, given the pandemic. So then let's take a look. How does that affect boxing? Well, first of all, the networks are, you know, at a place like Fox, which relies on this and ESPN too, they're going to look at their bigger properties that they pay a lot more money for first, because they're really at risk with those. And the advertisers will have clauses built into the contracts where there's a certain amount of viewership that's guaranteed, you know, and maybe that changes with, with COVID a little bit, but I still think live sports coming back, are going to be the top place to go. You know, you're going to see a, a probably a narrative of people switching back on their cable subscriptions or upgrading their sports packaging. I mean, cable really, you know, sort of the old school distribution models have a lockdown on sports right now. And, and I would guess you'll see a narrative where they'll be back in full force. You'll see huge advertising spends there and you'll, you, you know, you'll see, especially around football, uh, whether we see college or not, but certainly with the NFL, which I think everyone's expecting to see, you know, huge ratings and, and huge ad spends there. Now, how does that affect boxing? Well, boxing is a little bit further down the list, but I think it's a huge opportunity for boxing because right now we're about to enter a period where other sports are just starting up and boxing will probably get a good head start on that, whether it's PBC or ESPN, who's planning on, you know, top ranks planning on starting sooner than PBC on Fox. Um, but you're, you should see audience uh, come in that wasn't there previously. You should see a boost in ratings. We've seen that across the board with all the sports that have already started. And you, this is a huge opportunity for boxing, basically. And they need to put on a good product. You know, I think people will be understanding in June if, if it's not the highest level fights. But come July and August, we should be seeing you know, quality fights. And, and hopefully that's where boxing can take advantage of this opportunity. And, and really get some attention from advertisers and, and, you know, hopefully find new sponsors and find advertisers that look at that demo when it's one of the only games in town and, and really, you know, start spending money on it. So I look at it as an opportunity. What have you thought, Evan, about the Fox numbers up until this point? I mean, I, I get these press releases. I see these, uh, you know, they, they tout, you know, Fight X was up 5%, 10% over Fight X of last year. They were pretty proud of the 2019 numbers. They put those out in a press release. I mean, I'm definitely not smart enough to understand what these numbers actually mean. But, you know, when you look at them, does it leave you enthusiastic about the progress that Fox has made? Skeptical? I mean, where, how do you interpret the numbers Fox has done really over the last, you know, six months to a year? 
So in, in terms of how maybe how advertisers would look at them is on a good day, boxing's not bad. And I think this is both for ESPN and Fox. On, on a really good day, boxing's not bad at all. And it's a niche sport that on with a really great rating can you know, be a real cost-effective thing that you can invest in and advertise on and, and be good. On a bad day, boxing does not do well. And it doesn't matter if it's ESPN or Fox. And, and I think there's a lot of reasons you can point to that. Some of it is just because there's so many fights on so many different networks right now. Uh, but the ratings, you know, th there's been a continual decline. I mean, back when I started at HBO, HBO was regularly doing a million viewers for a fight, you know, and, and even if you look at some of the ESPN2 Friday night fight ratings back in 2010, 11, I mean, they were doing several hundred thousand viewers for a product that was clearly not the top boxing that was out there, but still, you know, good fights. So, you know, the world has changed so much since then. So it's, it's, it's an unfair comparison, but I would think, I mean, Fox probably hoped for better numbers. PBC probably hoped for better numbers. And I think, you know, that first year ESPN and top rank had some real successes, but in 2019 um, top rank clearly put a lot of their better product on ESPN plus and, and trying to promote uh, that, you know, part of Disney rather than, you know, regular ESPN. And you saw it in the ratings. You definitely saw it. You know, one thing I wonder about Fox's future is how much do they really care about the the caliber of the product they're putting on Fox or FS1 or anything beyond pay-per-view? Because I think you and I can agree, they're in the pay-per-view business. I mean, they make a lot of money or a significant amount of money off these pay-per-views. And, and I've had this conversation with different promoters. There's an interpretation of this that Fox almost uses their Fox broadcast to build up fighter a to make him a bigger pay-per-view attraction, even if it costs them, you know, ratings or money um, in the, the main Fox event. It's, it's almost, I'd almost make the comparison to like how wrestling treats like Monday night raw, where you, you have mm -hmm. like the two stars bickering back and forth. You know, maybe they wind up on the same screen together with somebody hops in the ring, but they don't actually fight until you get them on pay-per-view. I mean, it feels like there's a some kind of mirror to that with how Fox treats boxing and when it comes to Fox and the pay-per-views. Yeah, I mean, the point, the major success point you can point to with Fox is pay-per-view. They've really promoted it well on their network. It's, it, you know, any kind of network like that. I mean, first of all, it just takes the pressure off the ad sales team because, you know, Fox is at risk with what they're doing with the NFL and with college football. They paid big money for it. So they're, of course their ad sales team is going to focus on those properties first. And then when you can put on a sporting event where, especially if you're not guaranteeing the fire salaries, then you're not at risk at all. And you're just collecting a distribution fee. That's fantastic for Fox. They, of course they love that. And I would expect to see some pay-per-views coming this fall and winter because we're at a time here where anytime you can point to an event and say, Hey, we're not going to lose money on that for sure. I mean, that they're going to promote it and run it, run with it. I mean, it, it's a great revenue stream for them. And, you know, to your point, I mean, it, if you can build up these guys starting with FS1 and then onto Fox and, and, and start to build that audience and learn how to convert the people watching on Fox into pay-per-view customers uh, there's nothing better than that, it, you know, a, as a business model. And, and you can sort of figure, you know, they probably look at it as, yeah, we're not as at risk in terms of what we paid for boxing. 
So we'll figure out the ad sales component to that, but it's not, it's not as necessary, especially when we can do these bigger events and, and put them on pay-per-view and see success there. So that, that's really where they've, they've had great success. Yeah, and I get the business model, and it's obviously successful on some level. I just think it doesn't, it doesn't help boxing. It doesn't build the product at all. And I would just love them to try once to do something big off pay-per-view and just see, see what the result is. See if you can sell. Let's use Errol Spence, Danny Garcia. Assume that happens in the fall. I don't look at that as a major pay-per-view. I don't think Danny Garcia really sells pay-per-views, and Spence kind of does. I mean, does it better when Mikey Garcia is involved? Does it worse when Sean Porter's involved? So maybe, you know, throw all your resources behind that fight and see if you can, you know, come close to the profit that you would turn or at least have it have it uh, make more sense financially over the long term by putting that on main Fox and doing five plus million viewers behind it. Just, I mean, just try once. Make, make one effort to do a, a pay-per-view level fight on Big Fox and just see what the results are. So I think sadly, one of the sort of post-COVID, you know, new realities for boxing is that we won't even see that chance. That's not even a conversation right now. I mean, that's, they, Fox is going to have their hands full, you know, unless Major League Baseball isn't able to come back and, and college football isn't able to come back, you know, maybe they do take a chance like that. But I think assuming both of those sports do come back or come back delayed, you know, we're just going to see a schedule that's so loaded starting it really in September, I'm guessing, where the NBA playoffs probably are, are in full swing uh, and moving along through the winter and everything's going to get probably pushed back. And, you know, there's that kind of chance to take on boxing doesn't make sense um, in, in this world. And it just makes sense to have Spence fight on pay-per-view. And if he beats Danny Garcia, try to have him fight a bigger fight on pay-per-view. You know, the obviously Pacquiao fights out there and, and uh, you know, the fight everybody wants to see with Crawford is out there too. So I think, you know, that's going to be the playbook and that makes sense post COVID. There's just, it's too risky right now with all the uncertainty to do anything other than that. So that's going to be one of the COVID legacies that we just won't see anything like that. I think sadly. Do you think that, I mean, Bob Aram said this on my podcast a few weeks back, that he'd like to start experimenting with lower costs for pay-per-views. Uh, do you think we'll see that? I mean, somebody's going to have to take a chance on it first. Uh, I just don't know who's going to raise their hand and say, I'll be the guinea pig here. I would love to see it. I think someone will take a chance on it. And I think if the circumstances are right, I think there is room for like a $50 pay-per-view type price. I also think... What should be happening, I don't know if this will be happening, but what should be happening, and, and hopefully uh, we will see sponsors take interest in this, is something like the old Tecate deals or with cable systems, if they're trying to re-sign up customers to give, you know, you, you get this pay-per-view for free, but you're signing up for, you know, your cable system for um, a year or something like that. I think you'll see, st you know, you should see stuff like that. And I think that's a great opportunity to lower the cost for the consumer for some of these upcoming fights. Um, it, it fits the narrative of what these more traditional systems are, are going to be, you know, doing and how they're selling, how they should be selling themselves at least come this fall when there's just such a glut of sports coming. And I think it, it's a good opportunity given the consumers probably can't or aren't supposed to be gathering in big groups to watch pay-per-views to be able to do it at home alone or at home with one or two other people and enjoy it, you know, in the same way that they might've used to with a party. I think it's worth taking a chance on that, especially as 
you know, one of the other things Aram has talked about a lot, you talked about on your, your show and, and elsewhere is that the guarantees for fighters are going to have to come down for pay-per-view fights. And especially if we see that, that's one of the things where you can sort of mitigate the risk across all parties and have the opportunity to do something like that. Um, you know, I would love to see a two tiered pay-per-view system, maybe one being $50, one being $75, where maybe when it's guys first fight on pay-per-view or, you know, uh, it costs a little bit less and, and you can have a little bit more people watch it. Um, and hopefully less piracy because it's a lower price. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost feels like just bleeding a rock. If you keep it at $80, like just going for the absolute diehards, uh, to continue to pay and, it's Especially in this environment. I mean, it, with this level of unemployment, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, it just, it really, you know, and it's not just unemployment, it's furloughs, it's other things that have come and hit people hard, um, you know, pay reductions at, at certain companies. So uh, you, you just have, I mean, I, I think you're heading down the wrong path too, if you keep it at $80. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, the other variable with uh, PBC is of course, Showtime, which has uh, a deal with PBC and has been kind of the, the Hero of the Scraps Network over the last year or so um, when it comes to PBC shows. Y- you would think like Showtime in general, from what I'm told, has been doing pretty well during this pandemic. I mean, most subscription-based services are because people like you and me are sitting at home and wondering what the hell we're going to do with our time. So we're signing up for stuff and willing to pay, you know, X dollars for whatever. And, you know, Showtime's offered, you know, a free month and gotten people hooked that way. I don't know what impact, if any, that has on the boxing budget, but... You know, the people I talk to at Showtime are optimistic about, you know, what they can do in in 2020. Uh, they should be. Not, they should. Ahead. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, so, you know, at least if their budgets work the same way HBO's did, that you, you basically get a set amount of dollars and that's your budget. And you find out before 2020 what your budget is. And so they've probably got a really close amount to the same amount they had budgeted for the year, except they've got way less months to spend it. And they seem to also be waiting for fighters to train and put on a quality product. I mean, I think, you know, there's a real Showtime has the distinct advantage of, of being, you know, along with DAZN in, in America, the place where boxing is the number one sport. So they can truly take advantage of this. They can probably pay more than than Fox can right now, at least in the short term, um, given, you know, given some of these uncertainties. And I think there's a real pathway for them to show the best fights of any network coming up just because of the uncertainty. They, their uncertainty is not nearly as uncertain as Fox or, or ESPNs or DAZN's is. So uh, they have a real pathway here to come out and, and be the top performing network in boxing, uh, which given their performance last year, I, I think many people would not have, you know, most people inside the industry thought this was kind of their year where they were going to, leave boxing and and um that's i think now they have the opportunity to to you know rewrite that narrative completely do you think they have to do i mean it's like they don't want to be a feeder system for fox and pbc like they, they don't want to put on you know danny garcia red catch and then watch danny garcia fight errol spence on fox pay-per-view i mean how how do you navigate that like how, how do you I mean, I assume you have to have some kind of conversation with Al Heyman where you say, Al, you know, we'll give you enough money to put a major fight on Showtime Championship Boxing, but you've got to also give us the next big pay-per-view for the same fighter. I mean, they've got to have a safety net there, Evan. They can't just continue this process of, you know, giving 
the Garcias and others, the stay busy fights while watching Fox, as Bill Wanger has told me, they they get first crack at all the major <laughs> events. They cannot allow that to continue, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, I think some of it is going to be finding their fighters that they're exclusive to that they can really, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing it with Tank Davis right now. Um, if Adrian Broner fights again, maybe we'll see it with him. But, he's a rapper. He's a rapper now. He's a rapper. He's yeah, done with boxing. They're not going to pay him 10 million bucks either. You know, maybe even now, I mean, he could probably fight Floyd Mayweather and they wouldn't pay him 10 million bucks, uh, at least up front. So, but if they find those types of fighters that can be exclusive to them, that they, I mean, I'm just, I listed the ones that are sort of de facto that way, but um, I'm sure they can pick a weight class or pick a couple fighters like that and sort of continue that process and bring some other guys along and, um, and, and really have them step up, you know, through you know, even as early as Showbox, but, but through their championship boxing series and then onto pay-per-view. Um, I think that's one way to do it. You know, I also think uh, just to make sure that they're going to get, even though uh, I know Bill Wanger says that, but, they got to have theirs too, you know? So, so if there's, you know, four or five big fights, well, if Fox gets three of them, Showtime's got to get two of them, you know, that, that go on to the network where it's truly, you know, elite non-pay-per-view level fights. Like that's, uh, they've, they've got to be able to work their way in the conversation for that. And some of that's just the relationship with Al, but you know, they, they have a great relationship with Al Heyman and, and they've watched him do this or versions of this before, and they've still come out uh, with great programming. So you know, it, this again, this is, a, you know, like I said, it's a, part of this is a huge opportunity for boxing early on. This is a huge opportunity for Showtime the rest of this year. They don't have any other sports coming down the pike. There's nothing else they're waiting on in terms of, oh, is NFL coming back at the right time? Is college football coming back? They don't need to be a fill-in for anybody later if some of this stuff doesn't come back. They don't need to be a fill-in for stuff now like ESPN because ESPN has nothing right now. So they can just wait and do their thing and, and make sure that it's A-level. That's their game plan, and, and that's a great game plan right now. Yeah, I'd love to see Showtime back involved with A-level fights. I mean, they do an excellent job with these broadcasts and promoting it and everything they do. You know, Steven Espinosa, Gordon Hall, these guys are really smart guys who, who who are excellent at this. So I think there's no downside in Showtime being heavily involved in all this. Their institutional knowledge is, you know, is great on the network side. No, no other network has that at, at the A-level right now. So I agree. I agree. Uh, all right, let's talk about ESPN and Top Rank. When we last left Top Rank, uh, another decent start to 2020. Had Joe Smith upsetting Jesse Hart in a fight that maybe no one but the odds maker saw as an upset. I mean, I certainly didn't. Aledir uh, Alvarez got back on track against Michael Seals. That puts him in position to win that WBO version of the 175-pound title. And the big one was Tyson Fury knocking out Deontay Wilder, which, while not being a roaring financial success, does give them one of the biggest stars in the sport and arguably the top guy in the heavyweight division. So, Evan, what did you think about where top rank was uh, prior to the pandemic? Well, I mean, you know, the biggest thing, when you, if you start with Tyson Fury, I mean, Tyson, there's a, a, a real pathway for Tyson Fury to be the top star in the sport really soon if he can keep, you know, performing like that at heavyweight because he's, he's everyone has always viewed him as such a great boxer but not exciting. And if he can add, you know, this exciting knockout power to his resume and, or, you know, and and or to his repertoire and start building his resume on, 
other heavyweights out there. I mean, he could be a massive pay-per-view star and he doesn't need, I mean, you know, before this, he needed Deontay Wilder to become a pay-per-view star. I'm not, I'm not sure if he, especially if he beats him again, he won't need Deontay Wilder anymore. He's a pay-per-view star on his own and he has a chance to be one of the biggest pay-per-view stars in combat sports, basically. So that's where you start with ESPN. I mean, I think in terms of week-to-week programming, look, ESPN is all sports 24 hours a day, and they've got nothing right now. I mean, the UFC did three events uh, a, a little bit ago, and you know, from what we've seen, I mean, we saw this past weekend, basically Exhibition Golf had the highest cable ratings of any golf event ever. So, you know, NASCAR was up 30 or 40% or something like that on Fox. I mean, you know, this is where if you're ESPN, part of the reason you got boxing and part of the reason you got UFC for that matter is there is no season. It's flexible. You can use it to fill gaps. Um, and UFC was extremely aggressive in coming back. And, you know, Top Rank's going to be the first boxing promoter to come back in a major way. And they're going to fill some gaps for ESPN and ESPN desperately needs it. So, I think that's a great narrative for top rank. I mean, I'll give them a pass on some of the June fights is, you know, because fighters haven't had true training camps or anything like that. Um, you know, but, but for them to continue, you know, they're doing midweek shows and stuff like that. And that's fantastic. I mean, I think for boxing, you know, we're going to see boxing highlights on sports center a lot more often just because there's nothing else out there. Like this is a great story to tell can they get momentum? Can they bring back viewership to ESPN? Can they get a lift in viewership and then continue that through the fall, especially if we, as, as we don't know how some of these other sports are going to come back in the fall. I mean, I'm sure top rank is going to be ready to help out ESPN with whatever they need. That's the big question because this is where if they do come through, like UFC came through a couple of weeks ago, then, you know, ESPN is going to look at top rank boxing and, you know, and boxing in general in, in a whole different way. Like, Hey, you guys came in and saved us at a time when we needed it. Um, you know, like I said, Fox doesn't need it the same way that ESPN does right now. So, yeah, I mean, so I, what do you think of like they're the first boxing promoter to come back, and they're doing it in a big way in the month of June as we speak. They got approved for June 9th and June 11th. From what I hear, they're basically going to go like every Tuesday and Thursday throughout. Like it's, I mean, as many as they possibly can in the month of June. So that's a positive in getting out first. The flip side of it is they're not putting quality out there, like the. These are going to be like Shakur Stevenson, whoever he ultimately winds up fighting, is going to be like a 100 to 1 favorite. Uh, Jamel Herring against Jonathan Akendo is going to be a 50 to 1 favorite. Like these, these are largely one sided fights they're putting on. Is there any chance this could backfire on them in any way? Or is it just, look, ESPN needs content. So they're providing content out there when there's a big void for it. I think right now ESPN just needs it. Like they just need it in the worst way possible. And they want to do it responsibly, of course, but they, they truly need it. Um, I think there's going to be that grace period that's going to last a month or so. And then once fighters are able to have their full training camp, I think that's when that grace period ends. And that's, you know, that's part of the reason that PBC didn't want to come back until July or August. And, and same thing with the zone. They, they want to, you know, they want to make sure their fighters can, can be in training camp. You know, the, the way it could backfire is if it truly doesn't get the attention, if it doesn't really bring ratings the same way that Cornhole or whatever, you know, whatever ESPN is throwing on right now, I've seen a little bit of that, but it's, if it doesn't hit a certain threshold, it could backfire. But at the same time, like, I think everybody knows going into this, this isn't the top 
A-level product that uh, Top Rank can put out. And they're going to have to be able to put that out come July, August, or whenever else ESPN needs it for the rest of this year. And that's where you hope that if you get a little bit of a lift on these Tuesday, Thursday shows um, and, and some better audience and get some sponsors' attention, you can really start to you know, continue with that narrative through the end of the rest of the summer and get higher ratings. But, you know, again, like that's, I think they're basically trying to do ESPN a solid right now. And I think that's, ESPN needs it. So that, you know, I, I give them a little bit of leeway in June, but like you said, we need to start, if we're, we don't need to see fights that have 50 to one odds. Like we, right now I'm fine with watching the higher level club type of fights that, you know, our closer odds. And I think that could build reliance. And we, I think they are planning some of those shows. So, you know, we'll, we'll see is, is really the directive from there. Hopefully yeah, and they're, they're doing with the right guys, at least like Shakur Stevenson. If yep. the numbers are high, great. You want this young, you know, well-spoken ex Olympian, a chance to put on a, a, you know, a knockout level performance. Same thing with Herring and look, putting them on kind of in the same you know, sort of time window, you maybe set up that fight, which could happen 130 pounds at some point in the next year. So they're doing it uh, with the right guys at the very least. I'm very curious to see what the ratings are, though, because you know, it if it spikes like everything else has, great, they did the right thing. But if it is, like you said, cornhole or, you know, God forbid it gets beat by a rerun of Sonny Liston and, and you, know, <laughs> you, know, you know, Cassius Clay, like then you're in some, it's a bit of a, the, more of a sticky wicket there for, for top rank. You hope that you hope that casual audiences tune in and that they aren't turned off by a dominant performance from Stevenson because that's we know that's what it's going to be, um, and that they get excited about watching more Shakur Stevenson. So that that's what you're hoping for, and I and I think you know it's a risk because he hasn't been able to train that much. You know, I mean, he, like everybody else. I mean, every here's the reality. I mean, boxing is going to be first on this, but the reality is. The first NBA game you see, or the first Major League Baseball game you see, are not going to be great either. So it, you know, oh, first, how about the first fifty? Like I mean, NBA, yeah. especially, are going to be horrible. <laughs> so it's like that is something you know. You can, it's a defense for for top rank boxing by coming back this early. Like I, I think everybody knows what to expect here, and the expectations you know are in line. So I, I'm still. I think, I mean, just based on what we've seen so far, I mean, with exhibition golf, I mean, no, you're, you're seeing people can't wait just to watch something. And so hopefully this is it for them. And, and basically look, ESPN is going to be a combat sports network in June. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. No, no question about that. Now to, to kind of button ESPN and Fox together here, uh, the Fury Wilder pay-per-view was a terrific fight. It generated a lot of buzz both before and after because of the performance, but the numbers were not what they had hoped for. I mean, right around a million pay-per-view buys, give or take. Obviously, you can break it down to digital buys and how much money is made off that. But, you know, looking at those numbers, do you get the sense, like, now they have to work together for Fury Wilder 2. That's already, you know, cut into the contract. But, you know, there's all this talk about Crawford versus Spence and other cross-promotional fights can be made on a joint pay-per-view. As you sit here now, you know, I've heard some stuff about Fox's appetite for these pay-per-views not being as strong as they were going into the Wilder Fury fight. I mean, what's your read on whether we'll see more cross promotional pay-per-views or if it'll, they'll just dwindle down to the high profile few. 
Well, I think you'll see a lot more. I think the big question is what kind of resources are both networks going to put into them? Uh, because they both put a lot into Wilder Fury 2. And are we, you know, I think the Super Bowl ad is something that you just, we, I mean, that's a once in a blue moon scenario. But if you look at everything else that went into it, both from Fox and ESPN, you, the returns have to be worth worthwhile of, of how they promote it. And I think you'll still see some promotion because it goes back to that conversation of, yeah, they're, if they're not risking, you know, and there are various reports as to whether they did each network guaranteed the fighter's salary for that one. But if they're not risking, and I think for most of them going forward, they won't be risking uh, the fighter's salary. So if they're not risking the fighter's salary, then it makes a lot more sense to devote some, you know, on-air promotion to it. And, and, and that's great. Um, are you going to see such a unified effort where they put so many man hours from the company into it? You got to question that. I mean, that's something that, you know, even if the fight would have sold 2 million pay-per-views last time, right now in post-COVID, no, I mean, the company resources, you're talking a lot of, a lot of these places either had layoffs or furloughs or, or whatever it was. I mean, live sports was ground to a halt. So their company is going to be focused on getting back, restructuring it in the right way, moving forward, figuring out how to televise sports post-COVID with potentially limited crowds or no crowds. You know, that's what they're focused on. They're not going to be focused on doing some huge marketing campaign, you know, for a big fight like that. So I think that that's, that's one of the unfortunate realities of it. But I think they still will be willing to work together because, look, a big fight's a big fight, and especially if they can – generate that kind of interest again i mean that's it's still 800 850,000 pay-per-view buys where you know whatever it is that's still even if you're splitting it with another network that's still good distribution money so i I think that my question then or my next next sort of follow-up would be i mean how motivated would promoters be to be the ones backstopping all this i mean al Heyman seems to have this bottomless well of money i have no idea where it's all coming from i have no idea where it ends like i really don't like it's just Millions seem to be coming, be at his disposal at any given time. Uh, but Top Ranks had its, you know, share of financial issues in the past. Like, would I mean, I wonder what the appetite would be for them to like. Maybe that's why Bob Arum is so out there saying, "Hey, fighters, take a percentage. Like, take less of the guarantee and take a percentage." And he's using anecdotes, like he's pointing out, like Delahoya, and I forget what fight he told me, but one of the Delahoya fights where Delahoya made significantly less money because he wanted a bigger guarantee and a smaller percentage. I think. I think that's the only way this works, Evan, if these fighters are willing to go the percentage route and not the full guarantee route. Well, and that's the way it worked for years. I mean, when when I was at HBO and Showtime stole Floyd Mayweather, they were going to guarantee him $30 million a fight or something like that with 30 or 35. We thought that would sink him. And that's back when he was doing a million buys fighting anybody, basically. And now you're seeing, you know, similar, you know, Pacquiao got, 20 million guaranteed or something like that. And his opponents making six, seven, eight. And it's like, that's just unsustainable, especially you're not even, you're basically doing half the sales that Floyd was doing. So I don't, it's really tough to square that math, even in this newer age that we're in um, where there's a lot more ways to distribute the pay-per-view. I, I think the old model is what you have to do. It, it, and, and it makes total sense. And I think, one of the other effects from COVID is that it's not just the gate, but it's also um, as networks face this risk from advertisers, you know, 
they're going to be less willing to pay big money for sports. So uh, there's going to be a lot more of these incentive types of programs until there's more certainty in the marketplace. And I think fighters are going to have to, they may not find this out right now, but promoters are starting to message that to them and they will find out that that's, you're going to make less to fight on Fox than you used to. You're going to make less to fight on ESPN than you used to. Um, And, you know, some of that, you know, is the competition is all, is all now saying it. It, it, it didn't, what was happening was unsustainable to a certain degree and it didn't make sense. And, and we're, we started seeing a correction before COVID, but now we're really seeing a correction because there's no gate and all the sponsorship money is pulled back. I mean, you know, boxing's had a weird relationship with sponsors. I, there's a little bit of a tangent, but I mean, you know, my own company is just as much as fault for this. I mean, we, Boxing had a 30-year run on pay cable where they don't run commercials. So there wasn't a huge incentive to go out and get sponsors other than Mexican beer companies. And so those relationships take a long time to repair. And, it, it, you know, COVID is going to make that harder. Like I said, I think there will be opportunities now because all the sponsors have pulled everything back. But um, it's, it's a hard thing to repair when that much damage was done for that long. Yeah, I agree. It is a hard thing to prepare. And I mean, I, you have a deeper uh, base of knowledge on that, but I remember working for NBC and with main events, you know, when they had their series sponsorship was hard to come by back then. Like that was a, a killer for, for that series in general. And one of the reasons I think that it didn't last on NBC. Um, all right, let's talk about DAZN for a minute here. And you did a deep dive on DAZN, your last podcast. I encourage people to go and listen to that, but let's boil down a few things here. But before I do, I have to say this, and I say this not as someone that works for DAZN. I am part of the broadcast team there, but I say this because the 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 the, the stomping on DAZN's grave in the last few days, like all of you people that do that can fuck right off. Like you can just <laughs> fuck right off. Like this is the only sport in the world, Evan, where it, it, people actively root for people that contribute to boxing to fail. Like, and you experienced it with HBO. Like, people were rooting for HBO to fail for a time. Like, when Showtime was going through their struggles last year, everyone was, get out of the business, Showtime. Make way. You're not going to spend the type of money you need. Like, all you Twitter bots out there, I know all of you listen to this podcast because you tweet back at me during it. Fuck right off. Seriously, unsubscribe. Don't listen. I don't want you as part of this show. You all suck because you're like, that story came out. And look, I'm sure there's, and I don't know anything about the finances of DAZN at this point, but I'm sure there's a merit, there's truth to it because it's DAZN is a subscription-based service that does live sports and there's no live sports. There's clearly problems within the company right now until they can get live sports back on the air. But I just cannot tolerate the people that are just cheering the end for DAZN. Like, I can't fathom, Evan, like, if ESPN said, yeah, we don't want to do the NBA anymore, like, they wouldn't be cheering for that. Nobody's cheering for ESPN and Turner to get out of the game. Like, you want broadcasters that are willing to serve the fans with the best product they can possibly put out there. And yet boxing is like this bizarro world where they operate in a completely different way. Well, also, some of that is this Financial Times article comes out, and it's just like a complete misunderstanding of what is happening. You know, and I'm not a finance person, really, but I mean, I do understand some of the things that revolve around the boxing business, but like, this is like a very normal thing. Netflix does this all the time. They do it every couple months where they go out and borrow $500 million or whatever they're going to do. 
and they did it back when they were DAZN's age and maturation, you know, in, in their age and maturation as a company. Like, it's not, I mean, it's just taking on debt, whereas previously it was, you know, funded from Blavatnik's money. And, and by the way, Blavatnik now has a lot more money after the Warner Music uh, stock IPO, basically. You know, you, you wonder if he knows a thing or two about running a subscription service and that it, part of it is from that. And so you can, you can see that. So some of that is just a misunderstanding, I think, from that. I mean, I think what I was talking about I was frustrated that the zone missed an opportunity that I think was a clear opportunity. And I think everything in the DNA was to be aggressive, challenge the status quo. And I think they should have challenged the status quo. That's what the UFC did. The UFC got handily rewarded for it. And had they done that, even with lower level fights, but I mean, I still think what if you were to launch worldwide in a pandemic with a Canelo fight and just buy out the gate, you know, which would have been five or 10 million bucks from his end or whatever it was, you know, you would have had a huge opportunity to get an amazing amount of worldwide subscribers for something that would have been the only major sporting event happening in the world at that time. Um, and I think they missed that opportunity. And now the zone is going to be in competition with not just all the other boxing, but all the other sporting events that are going to come back in the fall and, and they're going to have to really fight for people's attention. So, they, they didn't want to do that. And I think, look, in the environment that we were in, in late March and early April, to a point, I can understand that. I mean, I, I just, I think based on how they built their company, that's not the attitude they should have taken. And you saw it with the UFC. I mean, look, the UFC, did they take some risk? Yeah. But so far, we've only seen the three positive tests those three positive tests, um, and and we're at the two week mark on this. Like, w w if you know, I know there were some you know non disparagement things signed and stuff like that. So who knows if people feel intimidated to come out if they did if there were other positive tests. But we're at the point where if five other people tested positive, we should start hearing about it right now or, or in the past couple of days. And we aren't. I think they handled it pretty well. They had a pretty good plan. I've actually read their plan. Their plan read, reads really, really well. It's really thorough, and they've updated it since then. And, you know, so I think had DAZN taken that kind of a chance, they would have seen rewards like the UFC did. UFC did 700,000 buys without any kind of headlining pay-per-view uh, fighter, basically. And they did really well in their other ratings, um, you know, with the three fights. Uh, so... DAZN had that opportunity. I mean, that's gone now. Now it's get focused back on getting the main guys, you know, out launching worldwide and having Canelo in competitive fights and AJ in competitive fights and, and Triple G in, in fights that matter, which there's only one fight that matters for Triple G right now. Um, and Ryan Garcia in a, in, a, in a real fight, you know, in, in, in doing that and, and launching worldwide. That's what matters for them now. Yeah, uh, look, I agree with everything you said there, um, and, and let's kind of dive into that a little bit. There, there are a couple ways to look at it. One is, should like there's only so many subscription drivers that fight on DAZN. I mean, really, you can argue that there's one. Like it's Canelo Alvarez and and kind of everybody else. But for for boxing fans, you can get excited about a number of different guys there. Golovkin, maybe people still get Anthony Joshua certainly. Um, but there there are two ways to look at it. One is should DAZN have continued 
to put on, let's use an example, like Devin Haney in a comeback fight in June. Because Devin, coming off shoulder surgery, you know, more likely than not, was going to be in a, a lower level fight. Virgil Ortiz had a fight scheduled against Samuel Vargas. Should they have gone ahead and done that in June as well? These are low level fights that would have been more retention plays for the subscribers that all subscribed in May for Canelo and Danny Jacobs. They came off in June. Like, would it have been more wise to spend the money to try to keep them uh, on board? The other thing is, the, the, do they put a subscription driver on during these months, during June, July, and August? And again, I'm not sure who that is at this point. I, I don't know who would do that. Now, Ryan Garcia is interesting. And and I've written, and, and you've heard this, a lot of the same things. Like I, I have heard that September was the targeted dates for DAZN to come back out of enforce. But I think it's possible that Ryan Garcia could get out there before. I know Golden Boy is pushing very hard for it. I mean, Golden Boy, part of their deal is that they can do fights on Facebook. Like, they can put on whatever they want on Facebook. Now, it's hard to put Ryan Garcia on Facebook given his minimums at this point. He's probably $300,000 plus another hundred grand for a fighter. Those economics don't seem to work on Facebook. But Ryan Garcia might be just the kind of fight to get many of the the hardcore fans back en masse and maybe some new people on there. I mean, Ryan Garcia in his last fight started to show signs, Evan, that he was an attraction. Like he's drawing 10,000 to Anaheim on Friday. And you can attest to this, getting to Anaheim on a Friday night is not fucking easy. Like that's just not. Like, I mean, that's, you. people going to Anaheim to see Ryan Garcia is impressive. And from what I was told, the numbers were really good um, in terms of viewership for Garcia. He could kind of be that panacea here. He could be that guy where you don't have to spend a bunch of money on a bunch of different fights. The production costs, I'm sure, are significant. Um, but if you can get Ryan Garcia out before everything else, and presumably you're coupling it with some of the stuff Eddie's doing. Like Eddie, who says nine things a day, and maybe one of them are true, but like Eddie is talking about doing fights in his backyard. Like he's got this massive setup back there. He says he can do it. He's talking about doing real fights too, like whether it's Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin, Usyk Chisora. He's got a bunch of young guys he wants to put out there as well. If you can bring back Ryan Garcia as a U.S. fight, and if you can get your hands on, because they would have to pay probably more for the white fights and the other fights that are on pay-per-view in the UK, but if you can get your hands on those fights, that might be enough. Like That might be able to satisfy your audience and rebuild some of your fan base, some of your subscriber base, rather, until you get to the big months of September through the end of the year when you're trying to make a big push. Yeah, no. so Ryan Garcia is certainly going to be at least right now, a subdriver in the United States. And I think he could be a significant subdriver because he has that Oscar De La Hoya potential where it's not just core boxing fans that are going to want to watch him fight. Like it's other people too. So it'd be great to start with him because I think for the core fans who have let their subscription lapse or, you know, or, or not signed up for another month or, or another year or whatever, those fans would probably sign up to watch Ryan Garcia fight at this point. There's that other subset of fans of, of younger female audiences who aren't necessarily core fight fans, um, who, or even if they have a casual fight fan as a, as a significant other or whatever, that group of people is that Ryan Garcia fighting is you're a candidate to get those people to, you know, uh, 
what is going to really entice hardcore fans is going to be, like you said, some of those UK pay-per-view level fights. Like you, you need those to maintain it. But I think the real question is, it's not Ryan Garcia is a sub driver in the United States. Who's a sub driver worldwide? So AJ fighting in a, in a closed setting or, or a limited seating setting, he's a worldwide sub driver Canelo fighting BJ Saunders. If that's really the fight that's going to happen before, you know, Canelo triple G by the way, before, worldwide... before you get there, before you get there, like what, what, what do you think of this idea that Eddie's got about AJ in front of like the super wealthy, of Great Britain to try to make some of that gate money back and do it in a safe way. I mean, I, I was fascinated to hear that. I never really thought of that. Oh, I, I mean, it's in the world of social distancing, it has to be considered. I'm, I'm sure right now the music industry is considering similar things basically. So it's, you know, AJ doing that, like, absolutely. It, at least in, you know, especially in a casino environment in the United States, I'm sure they'd be open to that because they care way more about the 100 or 200 people sitting in the really expensive seats than they care about the other 20,000 people who go to a Canelo fight and, and gamble. You know, that, that's, that's who they really care about. So I think there are, you know, from that perspective, yes, you can do it. Is that the right way to do it? Like, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different timetables and narratives in terms of, of a business sense that you're coming up against here. Um, and, and I think it's, it's how you're going to launch worldwide. Is It really matters, quite frankly, a lot more than how many U.S. subs you can re, you know, can, you can have re-sign up, basically, because that market is going to be tough to build until you really get to the tipping point where you can get other sports besides boxing. Like the U.S. market, I think it's proven at this point, with the amount of money you're spending, it's not going to sustain itself just on boxing. You need to move in other sports. Boxing is a great way in, but worldwide, maybe it still works. And I think I thought it was a great chance to work worldwide. I thought it was a great sport to identify as something to do worldwide and get the worldwide rights. And I think, you know, now's the moment for that. I mean, there's clearly no better time to do it than, than right now coming out of this. So that, I think that's really the key question. And I think, look, the, the answers are obvious. AJ and Canelo are your worldwide sub drivers. And maybe there's some other, fights that can be made that can drive worldwide subscriptions in certain areas. But, you know, that's who you need to build to. And you need, you just need to make sure those events are done right. You know? Yeah. I, I think, and tell me what you think about this, but I think June, right where we sit right now to like August of 2021 are, that's the ball game for DAZN. Like you come out mm-hmm. in September and you're not going to have, like, I don't even think Canelo fights Saunders in September. It's more speculation on my part, but I think he comes back in a close setting against a lesser opponent than that. I think I don't think it's a somewhere between Saunders and Rocky Fielding. Like I think that's more likely to be his his opponent. And Golovkin gets Zarameta, and they hopefully get Canelo Golovkin in place at some point in December, January of of that that cycle. But if you can build out a huge fight schedule for the the end of the year, if you can collapse some shows. If you can get, you know, pro gray hooker maybe as an undercard to something or put something like Kovalev versus uh, Barrera as an undercard to that. Like if you can just get some really strong shows the rest of the year and then have it culminate in 2021 with maybe Joshua versus Fury. Like, I mean, then I think you've you're giving yourself the best chance possible. If you can punctuate 
a year from now with Joshua Fury in Saudi Arabia, wherever the hell it's going to be, because you're probably the one network that's most invested in afternoon level shows and you're willing to pay a steeper freight. I, I, that gives you a chance in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, you got to Canelo. It's really, it's a, it's about a 12 month period starting very soon where you need Canelo to fight three times, AJ to fight three times and make a few other, you basically need sort of two fight season cycles. Cause I thought they did a fight season really, really well uh, in the fall last year. And if you get two of those cycles and the first one you can sort of work out the kinks and then the next one you can really promote and, and get behind some of the biggest fights and, and make sure that in, you know, on a worldwide scale, some of the issues that you saw in the United States um, about sort of brand recognition and how do I sign up for this and I want to watch this fight, but what, what is this? And like, if you see some of those, if, if you're able to move quickly on, on those types of issues on a worldwide level, I think you have a great chance to succeed still. Um, but COVID has obviously put a real timeline on that that didn't exist before. And it, and it's made, you know, the problem now that they're encountering is that all the other sports worldwide are going to be dealing with this issue. And there's not those sort of safe dates that we saw in the past for boxing where you can kind of sneak in um, and own that time period. I mean, look, one of the great things about Wilder Fury 2 is they own that week after the All-Star game because there's nothing else going on. We saw it, you know, a couple of years ago when uh, Floyd fought Connor in August. You know, typically that's not the right time, but for them that was great. They had two or three weeks where it was the only major thing going on in the world. So, uh, so for for that, if they can pull that off, that's great. But there's a lot of variables uh, now that because of COVID that didn't exist, and, and they're going to have to really be nimble. Yeah, I, to your earlier point about ESPN, I hope DAZN embraces midweek shows as well like i had this conversation with ray leonard where we were talking about i think it was his hearns fight and it was on a wednesday like you know i mean like the big fights happened in midweek it wasn't always married to saturday night and as we get into this post-pandemic world you know weekends are going to be dominated by golf tournaments and build-ups to major horse races i mean you're going to wind up going up against like the nba playoffs or the stanley cup or you know, other major events that aren't wed to weekends, but I think you'd want to try to avoid weekends as best you can. And like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, weekends, tying things to weekends was always about attendance. Like you get better crowds on weekends than you would on weekdays. Now, who gives a shit? Like, doesn't matter anymore. If you're not, if nobody's coming into the venue, do stuff during the week and try to gain that television audience. Yeah, it's, that's definitely part of it. I think I think the, when there was weekdays, it was because you had to go in closed circuits. So you're watching it in like a movie theater environment, and they need the weekends for their movies. So, it, you know, it's I think the the key takeaway is you you have to be flexible. And I know uh, attendance is a huge part of it, but like you said, attendance is now maybe not a huge part of it. You know, maybe there are states that by December are going to have full crowds in a safe environment and they're going to have it figured out. I mean, I mean, God, Las Vegas needs this, you know, like they, Las Vegas, the pressure is on them to figure out how to hold major events where they draw people in to do this. So if I'm betting on anybody to figure it out, I'm betting on them to figure it out. But, uh, you know, until that moment comes, there's just a lot of uncertainty. And like you said, uh, these other sports that maybe aren't the NFL, um, you know, golf and horse racing and uh, like they've had what usually is a couple major events over the course of the year now squeezed into a smaller environment. And 
then the, the NBA and, and all these other sports, you know, are the NBA, especially their schedule is going to be affected. And you know, this better than anybody for multiple years, like maybe two or three years, their, their NBA, the NBA schedule is going to be affected because of this. And I'm sure you're going to see that in other sports too. I mean, you, you, you're likely going to see it in college on some level, you know? So that really puts the, you know, it puts the pressure on you. You, you, you know, this isn't like, there's no playbook for this in the, in the world that we're living in right now. Yeah. You got to be creative and the one that's the most creative probably survives uh, throughout all this. Uh, Evan, always appreciate your time, man. The Fishinatos podcast, you can listen. iTunes, Evan's Twitter account, at Fishinatos pod. Terrific every couple of weeks. Always good on the business of boxing. Uh, always enjoy it, Evan. Always learn something. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot. Good stuff. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. This is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair? Or to have hair plugs. I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like, check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot and now he doesn't. Mm hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, joining me now on the show, he is the unified 140-pound champion who 
Two times already this year has had fights canceled, but he's hoping to get back in the third time around. Jose Ramirez. Jose, how are you, man? Doing just fine, you know, hanging in there, just uh, just like the rest of you guys. You know, you have, Jose, been uh, probably the most affected early on by the pandemic. You had a fight scheduled for China. Uh, that fight was scrubbed at literally the very last minute. I mean, your opponent at the time, Victor Postal, was in China when it was ultimately canceled. Then it was rescheduled for May. That obviously didn't happen. Uh, what have these these last couple of months been like for you with the stops and starts to your career? Yeah, you know, it's a it's been a little uh, disappointing. Uh, you know, I had a I mean, it's been a little frustrating as well uh, with me and my team. You know, having goals in mind this year, twenty twenty, uh, starting the year off early to hopefully have three solid fights before the year end. Um, you know. Uh, but everything happens for a reason, you know. We're, we're maintaining maintaining uh, the, the patience that that we need, uh, the positive minds uh, to continue and and staying focused and training. Right now, actually, I I'm about to head right now back to Riverside as I start training camp this week. Um, you know, to be ready, hopefully mid July, uh, and uh, make the fight happen. There's got to be nothing worse for a fighter than going through a training camp and having a fight canceled. I mean, you've had to do it a few times. I mean, I, I was at your fight in the the Central California area when Danny O'Connor collapsed at the weigh-in and you That's couldn't right. have, have that fight happen. I mean, it just must be tough to to put that kind of time and effort in and have it pulled away from you. It definitely is. You know, we as fighters, we sacrifice a lot. Um, you know, we put our bodies through, through a lot uh, through training, uh, through the sparring. You know, everything happens. You win fights in the gym, you know, so every, all the hard work happens before the fight happens. So, um, we, uh, you know, we had two training camps, uh, and the fight got canceled. Uh, the one against Daniel O'Connor, you know, he didn't make weight. Uh, that was something new for me. It was something that, you know, I was I was looking forward to uh, putting a good show for the fans in Fresno. And, uh, you know, but I was able to move forward. Uh, got an opponent right away against Orozco. Uh, a few months later and uh that was i think it was a, even a bigger better fight you know for the fans in fresno so that worked out pretty good uh this time around you know we uh i trained through through the holidays to get ready for for february 1st in china i i trained through the holidays i, I do have a family i do have a, a, a kid that i like to spend time with uh so it was it was a little tough it was you know it was a full camp you know like you said it got canceled a week and a half before it was the day i was supposed to fly out um that i got the call that morning uh, the second time, May 9th, I was in the camp for about four or five weeks, maybe five weeks, when it got canceled again. So it wasn't a full training camp. It was half waste uh, through camp. You know, but I, uh, but again, everything happens for a reason. And I, I'm a very optimistic, optimistic person. I, uh, I, don't let, I don't let little things like that get to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just ready to fight when, uh, when things open up again. And again, I'm gonna continue doing my work. You know, we're we're fighters. We gotta learn how to adapt, go through adversity. We have to learn how to uh, perform, no matter what the uh, circumstances are. Uh, we got we have to learn how to perform, uh, no matter how, if there's a crowd or no crowd or how things are looking. So I'm just I'm just ready to go back in camp and and stay focused uh, like I usually do. Yeah, and that I forgot about that. It's gotta be even worse training through the holidays. I mean, I always say you don't see. 
you don't see a lot of fights scheduled for January, early February, because fighters don't want to, you know, be cutting weight around Christmas time. They don't want to. Exactly. Exactly. But the reason why I want to start off early is because after the July fight, I, uh, you know, I had, I went, uh, I went under a, a small uh, surgery procedure in my hand, so I, you know, I was out for the years, so I wanted to start off, you know, soon to kind of to make it up, you know, to uh, catch, uh, kind of catch up on my career and kind of uh, put at least three fights. Uh, from 2020, and uh, so I was, you know, I, again, I, this is my job, and I take my job very serious. So um, it is tough. I mean, it, it is hard. You know, you gotta, you know, you can't celebrate with your family. You can't go. You can't be home. Uh, celebrate Christmas. Uh, you know, all those nice holidays that we like to celebrate with our families. Uh, you know, I was out there training, but my family understands. They they support me. Uh, so they uh, they know what I had to go through. And uh, at the end, you know, everything pays off when you work hard. So, Yeah, and that's another part of it, too. I mean, you know, coming off that July win, I mean, that, at least to me anyway, was the most significant win of your career. I mean, to, to unify titles and to beat Maurice Hooker in the way that you did, you know, kind of a kind of a back-and-forth type of fight early on, and you finish with a knockout. I mean, I would imagine you wanted to really build on that quickly. Definitely. Uh, you know, and I feel like I'm getting stronger. Like you say, uh, I feel like I uh, my confidence out there, my my abilities is starting to I'm starting to show. I'm starting to be very comfortable inside the ring against a good opposition. So you know, I wanted to start off where I left off. So you know, it, it's uh it's unfortunate that this is this happened. Um, you know, and I'm you know it's gonna be almost a year. You know, since I go back in the ring, but uh, I've been in training camp. I've been sparring a lot of rounds. Uh, two I mean, two camps got canceled for the for the same fight. Uh, but I'll be, I'll be more than ready to, to, you know, when they do call us to go back in that ring, I'll be more than ready. And, and I hope to continue showing the a stronger Jose Ramirez than my last fight. You know, I feel like I feel like my body is getting strong. I feel like my mind, uh, again, the, my, me being so comfortable in that, in that ring. And, I, you know, it's, when I went back to camp, actually, uh, the first camp, I was so strong in sparring. Uh, Robert, everyone was amazed. I was doing... 12, 14 rounds, you know, with three, four people, because my my pace was so strong and and my power is coming up, it's coming along pretty good. I had to, you know, I had to go through three, four sparring partners uh, to give me those 12 rounds. So, uh, you know, and, and they're in undefeated sparring partners. You know, they're future world champions. They're at Robert Garcia's boxing gym. You don't, you know, you don't get just sparring partners just for us to build our confidence. You know, we get, you know, hungry young guys who are undefeated and. And most likely will be world champions. So you know they're and they're pushing me, and I'm pushing them. And uh, I want to continue showing the world that I'm the best 140 pounder, and hopefully, I get to do that soon. Yeah, and there's um, you know, your promoter Top Rank is talking about doing fights as early as early June. We know Shakur Stevenson is probably going to be one of the first fights out. You just said that you're starting to get back into a sort of a training camp mode. Are you targeting a specific date? Are you looking at at something down the line? Yeah, but, you know, I'll be ready in July just because I feel like my fights are a little bigger than, than some of the early early on fights. I think ESPN and, and Top Rank, I think they want to see how things work out with the smaller shows that don't require big purses. So as soon as they get a big licenses fee, uh, and then I'm, I'm most likely going to be one of the, one of the first that they call for a big for a big fight, and just because of the uh, purse amount that I get now. Um, so that I'm looking at mid July, uh, the second week of July. So 
you know, I, I've been I've, I've been working, I've been training three four days a week. Uh, this I started about a month ago going to to uh, to Riverside to put on three four days a week with Robert. But now I feel like I leave today and I and I'll stay there for the next eight and a half weeks. Uh, I like to get my eight weeks in. Um, you know, I don't like guy. I don't like to uh, commit to a six week training camp. I'm a, I'm a guy who's very serious about how I train and my routine, my schedule. So I'm looking for the second week of July should be should be a good date for me to go back in the ring. Your um your promoter Bob Aram was on with me a couple of weeks back, and one thing he said to me was, "Look, we want to get guys paid, but you know if if we can't meet financial terms with them, it's got to be next man up. Like we've got to keep this this thing moving. We can't haggle over certain things. How do you feel about?" I mean, do you feel like you're on the same page with top rank with what you need to get paid to get back into the ring? Because it's it's a tough profession you're in. Right. Yeah. We uh, we you know we my negotiate my negotiations stay the same. You know, I can't get I can't um, they can't pay me any less. Um, and my purse is up there, so I understand what they're going through. You know, I understand what many businesses are going through. Um, you know, I've been very blessed in my career, so I'm not a guy who's you know who's uh. Uh, trying to, you know, push a company like mine, uh, like Top Ranks, who's done a good job with my career, uh, to something they can't, you know, they can't uh, deliver. So I'm being very patient. Um, I'll just stay ready, you know, because you never know. I think we, we're starting to see things open up again, and I, you know, and I can see, you know, I can see fights happening and being successful. So I'm, I'm just gonna stay ready, just, just for that case. Also, it's always good for me as a fighter to even stay sharp in the in the ring. You know, I don't want to be in in the area of Fresno too long. I want to continue to working on my on my own craft, on my own uh, boxing uh, uh, technique and and sparring and staying sharp, man. We gotta do that. You know, it's a championship level, so we can't stay away from the from the, from the gym too long. So for me, I'm just gonna be ready and and stay ready. You, you've been, from day one of your career, Jose, you've been really involved with the people in Fresno, with the people in Central California. You give back a lot. I mean, for a young fighter, you've been been really good with, with that kind of stuff. I mean, as, you know, being in Fresno, what are you seeing around there? I mean, how has this pandemic affected the people that you see on a daily basis? Very much. Um, obviously, I, I'm very involved with the community and with the leaders in the community, so they tell me exactly what's going on. So... Uh, the supervisors from the Fresno County and Kings County, uh, you know, they keep me involved on what's going on, and 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 uh, and I see a lot of a lot of people being hurt uh, from it. You know, especially in the state of California, you see some pay cuts happening uh, for those that continue working. Uh, there's there's people who are small business owners who have been affected the most. Uh, I know there's been some 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 financial help. But it's still not enough to keep their businesses, uh, you know. From it kind of keeps everybody kind of kind of stuck, you know, without blossoming, uh, without growing like they like they expected to grow. Uh, there's also a lot of employers also losing their their their, their workers because the workers are getting pay, are getting paid pretty good unemployment. So now they don't want to come back to work, you know. For some businesses that are uh, considered essential, uh, they'd rather stay. They'd rather stay at home and get unemployment. So I, I'm not sure how the state of California has has done things, you know, with or just overall the the with the unemployment with the extra 600 bucks. I know it helps a lot of people, but also 
it can also hurt a lot of businesses, you know, by their employers not showing up to work. They'd rather stay in employment. Uh, as far as the field workers that I helped out, you know, it was more of an appreciation gift to them uh, to let them know that we, you know, we uh, we acknowledge and we're very thankful for for their efforts to continue working in the fields and feeding us. So, it was, you know, they're not, they're not, they're people that like to work. They don't like to get handouts. Um, but it was more like, it was more of an appreciation, kind of a like thank you box with certain supplies for everything they do uh, for us. So that's what I, that's pretty much what I did for the field workers, the people that work in the ag business here in Fresno and the Central Valley. We gave over a thousand boxes. Uh, they included 20 pounds of rice, 10 pounds of beans, uh, hand sanitizer, a box of 10 masks for each employer and for each employee and uh, a case of waters, uh, uh, toilet paper, napkins, and uh, cleaning supplies for them to have. Um, and also, very, it was also we also gave uh, safety meetings to a lot of the field workers too to, for them to have the extra, the extra precaution to take care of themselves and their families as they continue to work through this pandemic. So, you know, I've done I, I did a lot of positive work in, the, in those regards, but I do see a lot of people being affected uh, from employees who are, like I said, are getting uh, pay cuts and for also employers who are also not seeing their workers show up to work. Oh, it's really impressive what you've been what you've been doing there and, and how you've been helping out with that community. Uh, last question for you. The uh, you know, I've had this conversation with a couple of fighters. I mean, with the, the pandemic going on, it's tough to stay in tip top shape. You're a pretty sturdy 140 pounder. You're a big guy for 140 pounds. Has this changed your timeline at all for staying at 140? Is it still all about getting that Josh Taylor fight and fighting for a unification, or might we see you move up uh, before then? No, no. I think I owe it to the. I think I owe it to the people. Um, I owe it to myself more than anything to to fight for all those four bouts, you know, and get a chance to be undisputed. Um, I, I make I make 140 pretty pretty good. That's why you know. I some people say that you look big on TV, you know, when they, when I'm in. In, in person, but the reason why is I I uh I always stay low in my weight. I'm not a, I, I look big when the fight happens because I because I lose the weight properly and and you know I don't over lose weight or uh I don't train to focus on making weight. I train to to get stronger and 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 to perform. The most important day for someone to look good is not is not during training camp. It's the day of the fight. Um, so. So I've been, uh, you know, I've been keeping my weight at mid 150s right now. Actually, I'm about 155 uh, right now. So I'm, you know, I feel really, really good about making 140 still for a couple more fights. But once I get that Josh Taylor fight, there's no reason for me to stay at 140. I would love to move to 147 and let my, you know, and let my body develop properly and naturally. And and I can see myself being a very strong 147 pounder. Uh, so I hope to. You know, be undisputed and make that noise. You know that next undisputed 140 pounder is making his way up to 147. I think that's going to be a much better look for me. Yeah, leave, leave 140 and let you know Teofimo and Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia battle it out for your belts. Like <laughs> you go get to 147, leave those belts yeah, behind, just know, like Terrence Crawford did. Right. Yeah, exactly. Once I, you know, this post fight, hopefully, just uh, Josh Taylor happens next, uh, and uh, move to 147. You know, I think there's good 135s who are already looking forward to moving up to 140. Uh, but I'm not interested in finding those guys, uh, you know, just because I have uh, 
bigger challenges in mind for myself. I think a guy like Crawford will give me a bit, will, will bring the best out of me instead of, you know, finding a guy like Teofimo or, or Devin Haney. I don't think those guys are, uh, right now, if, if I was to fight them next, I don't think they'll last 12 rounds with me. And that's, look, that's part of what's fun about your weight class and the weight classes above and below you. I mean, you're still a young guy. I mean, you know, let, once yeah. those guys become a little more accomplished and a little more known, it's a bigger fight, you know, if, if they wind up, you know, fighting you at 147 or something like that. Correct, correct, yeah. yeah definitely, yeah. I, I, you know, we could, I, could see, I could see myself fighting those guys in the future, just not now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jose, appreciate you joining me, man. Uh, good luck with everything. I hope if you're going back into training camp, I sure hope you get a fight this time around when you finish that training camp. Yeah, no, thank you. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.